We're in Acts chapter 20. As you turn there, I uh, want to mention a picture that the Bible uses, that Jesus particularly uses. And that Paul is echoing in this final sermon or speech that he's giving here. And that is the reality that the people of God, perhaps even people in particular or in general, I should say, can be imagined as a fold. Uh, A fold of sheep and the sheep are God's people. It's not a flattering picture. (laughs) Nevertheless, it's probably a true picture. There have been a few times where I've been walking on this road out here and one of the neighbor's sheep would be out of his yard and on the road. And I admit I grew up probably the most city boy a Camiite could be. So I've been known to be skittish more than a few others around animals. But even I know the fact that they're standing out there on the road motionless staring at me aren't for reasons of uh, intimidation, just reasons of cluelessness. Brain deadness. They seem kind of helpless. And that's why they need shepherds. Jesus says he is the good shepherd that his sheep hear his voice and his sheep follow him. I mean, I I could yell and shout all I want and more. And sometimes those sheep, as they as I draw closer to them, as I'm walking, they might uh, run a little bit, get a little scared, but. If their shepherd calls them, they might come a little quicker. Paul mentions that besides the good shepherd, as Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep. So Paul informs us that the sheep of God have many shepherds. Shepherds that must be diligent. They must shepherd well, feed the flock well and defend the flock well. But let's not get ahead of ourselves before we talk about defending the flock. We know we must know. That the shepherd have been given sheep that were already purchased because we also have the lamb. A figure throughout the Bible is the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We should sing a song about that. A pure, blameless, sacrificial lamb by whose blood we have been saved. A lamb provided by God so that we need not die as the lamb has died for us. And finally, these shepherds must defend the flock from wolves. Wolves are not pests. They're not accidents or unforeseen dangers. They are enemies. They're hostiles. And unfortunately for for them, sheep smell is on their noses. (laughs) Unfortunately, I wouldn't like that smell on my nose, but they actually like the smell. and They have intentions of harming sheep, killing sheep. So shepherds must diligently protect the sheep. And it's this sort of imagery that Paul begins with today. We're going to be finishing our uh, third part of a four-part series in Acts today. I just intended to go to chapter 20 and then take a break for a while. Go through chapter 20, I should say. So I invite you to stand in honor of hearing God's word. If you're able to stand and let's read and hear God's word together. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 38. We read. Keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have ministered to my own needs and those of my companions. And everything I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept openly as they embraced God and kissed him. They were especially grieved by his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I don't I hope I never take lightly coming before your word. It is weighty. You have inspired many to write this word. You superintended the writing of these words. You've preserved your word. You give us your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are faithful to take this, these words and apply them to our hearts and minds today. So help us, Holy Spirit, to have an open heart and an open ear, to hear your word, to do what your word says. Help us to have soft hearts, to receive your word, not hard hearts. Pray that, pray that you would remove me out of the way and say what it is that you desire. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your sacrifice for our sins. Thank you that you are ruling and reigning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Did you know that pastors are people too? I know. I've been... A congregant, I grew up in the church, and from about the age of awareness to what church was really about, what God was really calling people to do, and why my family and I showed up every Sunday, and what the pastor was talking about, I quickly adopted a view that said, well, the pastor, he's someone else. (laughs) He is literally someone else. He's in this special category of people. Now, having studied to become a pastor and being here now, I can now verify for you, no, he's not. (laughs) Uh, There was not one class in Bible school, not one super secret ceremony where I underwent some overwhelming transformation. Uh, The difference is between you and me, I studied with an intent to prepare a message to deliver for you. I did homework. That's the difference between you and me this week. That's all there is. Other than that... Chances are you and I may have sinned this last week. Uh, You and I put on our clothes the same way. You had stressors in your life that had nothing to do with church. I had stressors in my life that had nothing to do with church. You and I were both human beings born into a sinful world, saved by the same blood, going to the same church, and in lots of ways having the same lives. The ground is not more super holy up here. You can thank God for that because you don't want me to take my shoes off. This is why as Paul begins exploring this theme 
of uh, the fold in his speech, his sermon here to the Ephesian elders. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's in a town called Miletus, which is 30 miles away from Ephesus. And he says, verse 28 again, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. So keep watch over yourselves. You know what that means? Bad things might happen if they didn't. Now, coupled with the reality that you and I breathe the same air, eat the same food and struggle with the same sins or struggle with sins, period, is the fact that there is scriptural basis from people like Paul to Timothy to to Titus or people like James to elders and overseers of the church that they should strive to live holy lives more so than others. They should try to live above reproach to, to pastors, to teachers in the church. But I just have this theory that what I just said goes both ways. If I'm just as sinful, weird and quirky in need of Jesus as I was 10 years ago before I took the magical pulpit, I wonder if those in the proverbial pews should endeavor to the task of living a holy life like Paul instructs Timothy to encourage elders and deacons to. Like, it makes sense to me, why shouldn't you in the pews strive for a holy life? Why shouldn't believers who've accepted Christ, try to maintain an orderly home, be devoted to their spouse, disciple their kids. Why shouldn't believers, period, maintain or excuse me, make every effort to present yourself approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth? Second Timothy 2.15. The shepherds in the fold were to shepherd the church of God. And just so Everett down back here doesn't start twitching, the word for church is uh, ecclesia and could be rendered as an assembly or a congregation. But the word is two Greek words put together, meaning the called out ones. We're supposed to be called out. And yes, <laughs> that was, I believe, from Thayer's. <laughs> yes, we're supposed to be called out. And Paul was instructing the shepherds to shepherd the called out ones to maintain why they were called and who they were called out to be. And it involves the lamb in the fold. This this very interesting end of verse 28. It says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. First of all, some people would point out the deifying language or the Trinitarian language here, uh, because all over the New Testament, whose blood paid for the church? Jesus Christ. But Paul says it's the assembly, the called out ones, the church of God, which he, that is God, purchased with his, still God's, own blood. But God is spirit. John 4, 24, God, Jesus says that. The word became flesh, though, John says, and he purchased the church with his own blood. We mentioned this at the beginning, too, that Jesus was the first shepherd of the church, the good shepherd. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Lamb of God laid down his life and purchased the church with his blood. Or as Paul says to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. We, his sheep, he bought. This is his fold and the shepherds need to make sure it remains in his fold that we continue to follow him. So the question is, is do you know or do I know that we are not our own? That we are God's. We were purchased by his blood. You know, it seems to me that if there is anything our world prizes most in our age, it is individuality, self-autonomy, the ability to choose everything for ourselves. We can make our identity from scratch if you really want to. But if you think about culture thinking, that wasn't the case even a mere 60 or 70 years ago. People would look to your hometown, your family, your state, your job, some broader community to help identify you. But now it seems to be all about, no, you can come out from everything you can make yourself. All that to say that it's hard for me to to fathom that I don't belong to myself. (laughs) See, my identity shouldn't be Kevin Davis. And then I decide how life has lived out from that. No, my identity should be son of God purchased by his blood. He died for me. I belong to him. What he wants is what I should want. What he desires is what I should desire. Where he wants me to go, I should go. So do you and I live knowing that we are not our own? Now, what does that mean or should that mean for your schedule, for your money, for your hobbies? What should that mean? In the fold, there are also wolves. And that's Paul's point next in verses 29 through 31. He says, I know That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Now, some like to hone in on these words. I know that. And ask, did Paul receive some special revelation from God about this? Maybe. Or he could have just had some premonition in the most natural sense. I think it's safe to say that the enemy is always on the attack in churches. Now, I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility for Paul to get... Special revelation here, but I also think people are just quick to jump the gun on what his words mean. But then he gets even more specific. He says, even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. Again, it seems strongly prophetic or Paul saw the propensity for this distortion of truth among the people. Maybe Paul's a good judge of character. Therefore, be alert and remember That for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Think about that for a minute. I I personally have a habit of wanting to read fast through scriptures. For three years, I never stopped warning each of you. What's amazing to me is Paul is then saying, and there is still a threat. (laughs) There's still that. That propensity that in an instant wolves can come in and and you can be led astray. This is why pastors that I have known and I have learned from maybe fell from their positions because of sin. This is why it's important for you that you and I abide in Christ. You and I need to abide, remain in Christ. 
Let me say it this way. Do you ever know Christians over a long time and eventually you're a little let down by them, maybe or maybe let down by them a lot? There have been believers I thought I knew I thought I trusted to be sold out for Jesus their whole lives. But then red flags crop up. They post something on Facebook, which is, you know, where you can get the most accurate information. Maybe not. But or they say something in conversation or they make a lifestyle choice or something happens. And it just makes me scratch my head. Sometimes it's something subtle. Sometimes it shows up with their being very defensive. Don't judge me. You're too judgmental. I'm not doing anything wrong. You're just too rigid. You don't understand true Christianity. Or maybe it goes both ways. They get a bit more. Maybe they get a bit more looser and freer, taking advantage of the grace that Jesus bought them with. Or it could be the other way. They feel like they need to be they need to do Jesus plus something and be, you know, like the Judaizers. These people and these teachings aren't helpful. They aren't helpful. They're savage, Paul says, ravenous. One of my commentators said, if truth makes us free, lies enslave. <laughs> Something interesting to think about. You know, I've been reading Exodus on my own time lately, and this is the, the Old Testament picture for the New Testament reality People are enslaved in bondage to Egypt. And I've been noting just the connections for how stubborn the Israelites are, even though they've been given a great gift. You don't have to do slave labor anymore for Pharaoh, right? Well, I want to go back to Egypt. They had good food. We had homes. And they couldn't grasp all the all the time the freedoms they now had that they had been given, that they could head out to the promised land that God would give them. And sometimes we're the same. Sometimes false teaching says God's withholding something from you. So we just distort the truth a little bit and and then we're happy. Or you can do these things that God says no to. And I, I always state here that God's rules are not joy stealers. They are harm sparers. This happened last uh, Thursday morning. I was walking with Calvin and Landon over to their grandparents, Phil and Bonnie, and we're coming up on this curve where there's hardened road that takes off and the curve goes around a blind curve. And Calvin's on his bike. He's a bit ahead of me and the classic, oh, look, squirrel. <laughs> Only this time um, it was, oh, look, a pothole. And he starts veering his bike on the side of oncoming traffic on this blind corner and so he can run his bike through this pothole and I yell at him hey get back on the north side of the road right now which he does and there was no car coming but it's like I told him we can't always hear the cars that are coming it's a good habit to be in to be on the right side of the road I didn't tell you that to take away your fun I told Calvin this I said that to keep you safe we like to go in our own potholes sometimes we still like potholes. We still like to go on the wrong side of the road in blind corners. But God is not withholding joy. He's sparing us from harm. Savage wolves. And we heard from the reading that Steve gave us in Revelation 2 that Ephesus seemed to have kept watch. They were diligent in not allowing these savage wolves to spoil the fold. We could talk about what God convicts them for in another sermon. <laughs> but Paul, but for now... Paul has to leave the Ephesians, and he's no doubt sad about this. I think 
For a long time, Ephesus was his desired location ever since he set out on his second missionary journey. If you believe it's back in Acts 16 and Paul wants to go to Ephesus, the region of it's called Asia. That's the Roman name for what is now Turkey. But uh, he wants to go to Ephesus. and It says God said, no, the Holy Spirit directed him this way. And so he's always wanted to go to Ephesus. But after he puts his three years in. He has to leave them and he knows he'll suffer in Jerusalem, but he also knows that Ephesus is in danger of savage wolves. So the question is, is what can Paul lean into for hope for these people for this fold? He leans into the hope of the fold's foundation. If you're following along in your outlines, we move from the fold to the foundation. That's the point of verse 32 here. And we read, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. This foundation is more than what Paul could ever offer. Christians, you need to hear this. I believe the Bible and God's word, yes, does call us to congregational gathering, hearing the word proclaimed, studying the Bible together. But what is the foundation of your being kept is a commitment to God. And the word of his grace, that is what can build you up. That is what leads you into an inheritance. Uh, Jude, in his epistle, he would state to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. John would write in 1 John 2.27, he says, And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But just as his true and genuine anointing teaches you about these things, so remain in him as you have been taught. Remain in him. Remain in him. That's the foundation. It's it's so easy, but sometimes it seems so hard. You know, all the people we sometimes get saddened by who who seem to be moving away from the pure gospel as proclaimed by his word. I believe this is the problem. Everyone that I've ever met that has weird, creepy, stupid theology, you're like, that describes you, Kevin. No. (laughs) But who might believe things that they need to be more Jewish to be better Christians or that some Christians are too judgmental because Christians believe the marriage bed should be between a man and a woman or kept pure before a a wedding. I can tell you 85% of the time, if not more, those people who try to defend themselves will then say, look at these teachings. Look at these websites or they'll look to some quote from teacher out from some teacher outside of Jesus or outside of the Bible. That's not remaining in him. Quote Jesus and quote the Bible to tell me why you think you need your new teaching. Then we'll talk. Paul can leave Ephesus with a bit less anxiety because he can commit them to something better than himself. He can commit them to God, to the word of his grace. God's grace can build up. You know, I was listening to a sermon this past week and the, and the preacher said this in my own words. He said, uh, a lot of gospel centered preaching or gospel centered churches start at justification by faith through grace, but then it never leaves that. It never goes beyond that it never goes deeper. Ephesians 2 8 is a magnificent truth. Paul's own words to the same group of believers and a letter that he would write to them. He says, 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This, not from yourselves, this is the gift of God. This is the gospel. It's a great foundation. It is grace that saves you, that should spare you from hopefully both paths where people have a propensity to err on, such as cheap grace or believing you need Jesus plus something else. But the gospel doesn't end there. Ephesians 2.10, two verses later, says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I pulled that from the footnote of the BSP. We were created to be sanctified, to do good works, to walk in him. That is the foundation that Paul can leave them with the fold, the foundation of the gospel and the foundation of sanctification. Do you hear the differences between being saved, justification, being declared righteous before God, and then sanctification, walking in good deeds? But now Paul is moving towards saying farewell to them away from his instructions about the fold and the foundation. He's moving to talk about his own faultless character before them because he wants to know, wants them to know that the foundation that they received didn't come from a source with fault, didn't come from a minister who was there for bad or sinful reasons. Paul says in verse 33 through 35, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have ministered to my own needs and those of my companions. In everything I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've been with us for any amount or for, I should say, for longer than a few weeks, uh, you know that I, I am intending to go through both the book of Acts as well as First and Second Samuel intermittently with a few other series in between. But I was reminded of Samuel's farewell address to Israel as he's handing off the kingdom to Saul. Samuel was the last judge of Israel, and he was in such a position that said this, I'm not the king, Yahweh is. But the people of Israel wanted a physical king to fight their wars, to look to, to know here's a leader that we can see and talk to, as opposed to, you know, by this crazy thing called faith, trust that Yahweh was leading, talking through his prophet. And to show that Samuel was free of any sort of bad character, right? He's saying, I was the last leader of this type in Israel, but Israel's not moving towards a monarchy for reasons of my failing. He says in 1 Samuel 12, he says, here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox or donkey or beamer, oh, that's not in there, (laughs) have I taken? Who have I cheated or oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe and closed my eyes? Tell me and I will restore it to you. You have not wronged us or oppressed us, they replied, nor have you taken anything from the hand of man. Samuel said to them, the Lord is a witness against you and his anointed as a witness today that you have not found anything in my hand. Now, Paul, in a similar way, he's leaving Ephesus. He's leaving where he's labored at for so long. And he wants to leave with the gospel being the sweetest thing in their mouths from his being with them. And so that means if he has somehow added fault to the gospel by his own sins, he wants to clear that. Paul knows he hasn't. He hasn't taken their money. In fact, he's 
worked for himself to keep himself going. Elsewhere in Acts, we see that he's a tent maker by trade. And, and then even this in verse 35, we read in everything I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not only did Paul citizen originally of Tarsus, if he had another home, it'd probably be Antioch. But not only did he go far away from where he was preaching, getting persecuted, being persecuted, but he also made money and he helped others in his own labors, possibly with his own money. Now, I want to be clear here. My my job here is obviously my livelihood. Many pastors get paid. Many pastors don't get paid. Some pastors are, are by vocational. The Bible, even Paul, is abundantly clear that there's a room for every sort of situation. In fact, as we're told, as far as Jesus and in his 12 in Luke chapter eight, the same author of the book of Acts, Luke would report that among the women who were with Jesus and his 12, quote, that these women were ministering to them out of their own means. Paul himself would write the Philippian church in Philippians 4:15 and 16, and he says, and as you Philippians know, in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church but you partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving. For even while I was in Thessalonica, you provided for my needs again and again. You know, like any person, depending on the circumstances or the situations or the need needs, Paul had felt that whenever he made it to Ephesus, he felt there apparently, I'm in a place where I can provide for myself monetarily. And for the sake of my witness, I think I will. You know, I'm reminded uh, back in 2010, while I was still at Valley View Nazarene, I went on a missions trip to the Native American school down in, uh, in Arizona. It was Christian. There was a lot of broken home kids who came to this school, and it was a Monday through Friday boarding school. The kids would come off the Navajo reservation, live and do school, go to chapel every day, learn about Jesus, receive an education. And the school maintained a lot of upkeep from volunteer church groups who would come down and do maintenance on the school grounds. Sometimes they might help out in special presentations at the chapel and so forth. And so Valley View Nazarene had a group. I don't know. There were 10 of us or so. We went down there and. We get the feeling that the leaders of this school are a bit more leisurely than we expected. It was almost like pulling teeth for them to give us, uh, you know, things and projects that needed to be done. Uh, finally, we found out we needed to do some fence fencing. There was a basketball hoop on the playground that needed repairing, you know, important stuff like that. Sidewalk uh, that needed to be relayed. Um, the lunchroom kitchen eventually needed to be repainted. And if any of you remember those box tops that you're supposed to tear off and send to certain schools, well, we were the lucky ones who got to sort through thousands of those and make sure they go to the right place. And so after we were done, after two or three days, and we were there for a week, because we had a crowd to handle these multiple projects, we went and asked, well, what else should we do? And finally they told us, well, we didn't expect you to do more. Most groups from churches who come here, Spend more time doing tourist stuff around Arizona than bunking here at the school. Doing Grand Canyon, petrified forest, that sort of thing. Oddly enough, we came to work. <laughs> it was called a work and witness trip, and they actually ran out of projects for us to do. So, yes, the last day we were there, we said, well, okay, we'll do a little bit of sightseeing. You know, Paul didn't come to Ephesus to see the sights. <laughs> 
Ephesus was a major tourist attraction in this day. There was a well-known temple to Artemis or Diana. And though one maybe not worship there, one might at least want to go see the sites. But Paul says, you know, it's like Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, Paul was already way out of his security and comfort zones to show up in a foreign place and then say, what can I do for you? That's that's amazing. Interesting side note, that saying of Jesus is not recorded in the gospel accounts. So there are many passages and sayings of Jesus that certainly support the fact that Jesus would say something like that. John, of course, says there were many things that he couldn't write. If he filled everything that Jesus said or did, it would not fit in one library. So apparently this is one of those things. Some have called it the last beatitude. (laughs) Blessed are the blank. They will blank. This is kind of the similar uh, similar um, format, if you will, of the beatitudes. We finally leave Paul's words, though, and we go back to Luke's narrating as we close uh, this time around in our series of Acts. Paul has discussed the fold and the foundation, his being faultless. And now we read about family. We should sing a song called Family of God. (laughs) Um, When Paul had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept openly as they embraced Paul and kissed him. They were especially grieved by his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. If you were here last week, you hopefully know the uh, remember the context. If you've been reading that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's determined to get there so much that though he's speaking to the Ephesian church elders, he's doing this uh, again at 30 miles away from a port town called Miletus. 30 miles is about a day and a half journey uh, in those days on foot. Paul didn't want to go through Ephesus, probably because he realized he would be obligated to visit everywhere, maybe speak a few sermons. Uh, But he also was really determined to get to Jerusalem, even though he revealed, he says, the Holy Spirit says, I will suffer in Jerusalem. So we actually do know that Paul Paul did see the Ephesians again. But Paul didn't know that. We know that he saw the Ephesians because in First Timothy, he told them, I was with you again. But Paul had no reason to believe he would see them again. And so after this send off, after this last sermon to them, he prayed. You know, here in a few minutes, I'll be praying over this message, likely asking the Lord to commit this message to our hearts and lives. Paul is committing his three years of ministry To God and to the word of his grace, Paul is committing his words to his hearers. I've noted this in my own life. Maybe you have, too. But I can tell when I've forgotten to open and or close my personal study time in the word without prayer. I can I can tell the difference. The mornings I get up and get out my Bibles and study tools because it's routine, make myself some coffee, sit down and begin. If I don't pray, sometimes it's really dry for me. I'm distracted. Any of you remember John Candle here? Any of you ever remember the way he prayed? Barely, because he didn't pray too much out loud. He always uh, had the shortest prayers, and I I learned a lot from him. I, I think he may have got it from that passage from Jesus about not praying with many words, you know, so everybody can see how devout you are. Um, maybe that's where John got it from. Maybe he just liked to pray fast. But if we tell him to open a, a Bible study, uh, John would be like, dear Lord, please speak to us. Amen. Something like that. And uh, 
But I, I've taken from that, and sometimes if I just sit down in the mornings and say, Lord, please be faithful to meet me, show me Jesus in the passages, and I start reading and studying, just those two words, it's not like God is, you know, you, you at least need to speak for five minutes before I actually hear you. God doesn't like that. God, God can do, you can hear two words, dear Jesus, help me. So <clears throat> that's just one of the things that I, I thought about when Paul was praying with them. Paul and uh, the elders then parted. We read, they all wept openly as they embraced Paul and, and kissed him. Paul spent three years with these guys, and their church was a family. Memories were made. You know, I'm driving to McCall here in a week, and I'm going to be meeting my mentor, Pastor Hunter. Uh, we spent about seven or so years together in Kamei at Nazarene. We became brothers in the Lord. We care about one another. We valued our time together at the church. And we keep up with one another. Many of you know right here in Woodland, hopefully, what family at church feels like. But if you don't know, when you're here on Sundays and you maybe talk for a bit and then head home, can I challenge you? Get to know someone. Have them over at your house. Now, I'm one of those realists, not idealists. You're not going to be best friends with everyone here, and that's okay. I don't think you should feel guilty about that. But get more plugged into fellowship and friendship than just Sunday mornings. Call someone up. Invite someone over. Do life together. And lastly, I call this last part pursuit. It says they were especially grieved by his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. They were pursuing Paul, pursuing him in love as far as they could go. They went to the ship with him to say goodbye. Both parties believing for the last time. You know, part of befriending one another here and doing life with one another here is pursuing one another here. And it's just even been exemplified today, illustrated today. Uh, we're, we catch up on prayer requests from last week. Hey, there was a truck found for my bees. Or you call someone up in the middle of the week. You know, you mentioned on Sunday. How is that going? Pursuing one another. <clears throat> Knowing for how can we pray for one another. Knowing how we might be able to provide for one another. That's how it is. In the family of God. And so, I believe we're all in the fold. And I wonder, do you shepherd your part of the flock well? Do you shepherd your own life well? Do you shepherd the lives entrusted to you well, knowing that the lamb was slain for you and you're not your own? And do you watch out for wolves? You can watch out for wolves by being reminded of the foundation. You were bought by the lamb. You should abide in him and his grace and his word. Paul showed us an example of his faultlessness and how we can operate, that there are seasons where we might need to be helped or to receive. But there are other seasons where we can say with Paul and with Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And have you made Woodland Friends family? Now, like any family, we're full of sinners. <laughs> we're not perfect Maybe we won't return calls right away to one another or like any family. Maybe we might say, well, we're busy or we won't make it to everything. But even so, I hope and pray that this is a place where we can do life with one another. <laughs> Perhaps working on these skills of shepherding and watching out for wolves and growing in grace on the foundation and being a blessing to one another. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we um, do thank you again 
for the lamb that was slain, that took away our sins, that empowers us to live holy and righteous lives. I confess to you that I don't always live righteous and holy. Uh, But Lord Jesus, you rose again from the grave, showing us that not only can we too die, die from our sins, but we can rise again and walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we looked at this last, these last moments with Paul and these Ephesian elders, I do pray that you would apply these truths to our lives, that we would be diligent shepherds looking out for one another. Father, help us to not be led astray by wolves. Help us to commit our lives to the foundation of you, your grace, your gospel, your word, your truth. Help us to show grace to one another to pursue one another, to pray for one another, to love one another well. Help us to remain humble and teachable. Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray that these truths would be applied to us today, this week, and in the coming months. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.